0: Welcome to the Alabama Literacy Network's podcast, which is designed to share information and best practices for literacy in the state of Alabama. We hope to bring a wide variety of resources together to help school leaders, teachers, and parents so that all children read at high levels. We believe that literacy is a fundamental right that is tied to so many positive outcomes that we want for the citizens of Alabama. This podcast was brought to you by Bright Spot Ed, LLC, an educational consulting company based in Alabama providing consulting, professional learning, evaluation services and resources. Our goal is to highlight the good and replicate it across education. I'm your host, Shelley Bell-Smith. In honor of October being Dyslexia Awareness Month, today we will be talking to Mrs. Sonia Yates, who is president of the Alabama branch of the International Dyslexia Association, the Alabama Dyslexia Advisory Council, and president of Dyslexia Therapy and Consulting, LLC. Sonia has a deep history in working with struggling readers, having taught special education for many years, before working as an interventionist and intervention coordinator for school systems. She has trained teachers nationally and internationally in identification and intervention for reading difficulties. She currently serves on the Alabama Committee on Grade Level Reading and the Literacy Task Force. She is a member of the Early Literacy Network and is a highly sought-after speaker and presenter. Welcome, Sonia. Thank you for being here today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited. So can you start off by telling us about October and Dyslexia Awareness? Yes, October is
1: recognized nationally, probably I think maybe internationally in some parts as Dyslexia Awareness Month. And in Alabama, our color is red, goes back to Christy Aiken and the roundtable solution and redeeming red. What we know about dyslexia is that it's not always negative. There's some really good things that come from it. They've got some incredible strengths. And we want to make sure that during the awareness month that we bring awareness to that impact that it has on kids, but also the positive. These are the out-of-the-box thinkers,
0: and they can be very successful. That's right. I feel like we've made a lot of progress in Alabama in terms of dyslexia awareness. Can you tell everyone a little bit history of it in our state? And most importantly, what else needs to happen for us to help people affected by dyslexia?
1: be happy to. I think that we could not ever uh, talk about the history of dyslexia in our state if we didn't bring up Dr. Denise Gibbs. Alabama Scottish Rights Center, Dr. Gibbs and the Alabama Scottish Rights have brought so much awareness to our state. They started in two thousand and one. That's twenty years of advocacy, and throughout the years, worked with parents and they do testing. Actually, helped with the cohort of the MSLE trained dyslexia therapists. So, we have a long history in it, but over the last few years, I think that things have kind of sped up. I think that because of the awareness that has been brought to it, that parents have become more demanding. They know what their kids need and they want kids screens. Teachers know that these options are out there for training. So in like 2015, I think it was the Dyslexia Friends Group was organized and it actually came. It was several different organizations and some nonprofits that came together. And talked to the state department and state board. And from that came amendments to the Alabama Administrative Code. That was in 2015. It also created the Dyslexia Advisory Council. That Dyslexia Advisory Council is in the Alabama Administrative Code. And in October of that year, you know, it was one of those days and they'll always live on in dyslexia land, I call it, that when the State Board of Education unanimously adopted those Alabama Administrative Code changes. You know, through that, as I guess we were maybe a little naive about, we thought it was in code. Little did we, You know, it was an unfunded mandate. And with an unfunded mandate, it's not that we don't want to do the right thing. It's just that we don't have the funds and so didn't have the knowledge, I think, to actually put that policy into effect. In 2018, we started more advocacy because we were getting so many requests from parents and from school districts. You know, in the Alabama Literacy Act, I think that has brought much more awareness to our state because, I don't know if anyone else in this state has ever counted, but dyslexia is mentioned 28 times in the Alabama Literacy Act. So we have a a long history of efforts. Some of the next steps, I think, is that we've got to continue to bring awareness because everyone still thinks dyslexia is only reversing letters, and we know that it's not. We've also got to make sure that parents and teachers understand what the Literacy Act says about dyslexia and what it's being done with those struggling readers and why they need that specific type of intervention, and especially with parents, what to do if your child isn't making progress. And it's not because schools that teachers don't want to be doing the right thing. It's Sometimes we don't know what we don't know.
0: That's right. So we like to use the phrase when we know better, we do better. Now we're on track to help a lot more kids. And the Literacy Act is really about early intervention. And so it's so fun talking to other states when they refer back to our Literacy Act as such a great model for early intervention. So it's nice to get credit for some good things.
1: I know in Alabama, um, they at one time, and I haven't checked this past year, but at one time, Alabama had the most comprehensive literacy law in the nation.
0: So tell us about some of the events that are happening in October for dyslexia awareness. Well, you know, Dyslexia Awareness actually starts in October, and we have been
1: selling t-shirts up until October the 1st, also masks. Those have been put out in emails and on social media, and our goal is for World Dyslexia Day, which is October the 15th, for everybody to be dressed in red. That's also the day of our Fall Rise to the Challenge conference. And so we're asking everybody to wear red and to post information online, to tweet and to tag us in it. We also are partnering with the Georgia branch of IDA for the Dyslexia Dash. And Dyslexia Dash this year, um, they are having a one on a specific day in Georgia. But there's a this is a virtual run they call it. So you just run in and then turn in your time to them. The towers are always lit up at some point. I think this year it's going to be on October the 14th, which is perfect because that's the day of the state board meeting where they celebrate dyslexia awareness. They all wear red and uh, all the state board and all the staff, it's fabulous. We love to go get
0: pictures made with them. So it's great that it's going to be on that same day. I love that. I will be wearing my red The Dyslexia Resource Guide has just been updated. What are some of the notable updates that people should be aware of? Well, I think one of the
1: things that once we started trying to revise the Dyslexia Resource Guide to match what was said in the Alabama Literacy Act, that the blinds between struggling readers and dyslexia-specific intervention got a little blurred, you know, that Tier 3 it's not a bad thing. It was just, we didn't know how much clarification we were gonna need to make. So we made some adjustments last year about the screening process. That process is still the same. That has not changed. However, there were so many questions about what qualifies as tier three. Do dyslexic students get tier three intervention? And so we went in and tried to clarify some of those specific, you know, to district questions and to parent questions. I think the most significant thing to me is that it clarifies that the tiered instruction and that if you're using materials, a program in tier one as a core supplement, tier one and two, then it doesn't count as a dyslexia-specific intervention in tier three. Because if everyone gets it, what's specific about it? There's not anything. So that is something I think that really needed to be brought out and talked about and told, and that is just what's best for kids. But that came from some questions. We also, this past year, the Dyslexia Advisory Council helped create the CULT job description. Another clarification in the resource guide is that all students who display characteristics of dyslexia should receive dyslexia specific intervention, regardless if they're a general ed student or they're a special ed student. Also talked about making sure that universal screeners are tightly aligned to the requirements in the Alabama Literacy Act. I actually had a conversation today with a district about that, because and theirs is very tightly aligned to it. And so there's a step ahead. And so because they catch those kids, they catch those um, kids that are struggling in letter naming and letter sound immediately. Alabama Literacy Act says kids get intervention if they have deficits. The lack of progress is what um, determines if they need more screening. Some a little more guidance on the screening is given in there. And what we've done is trying to help out. We've tried to get down to one dyslexia screener for the state. And that's been a, a hard progress because everybody has their favorite. But we have made some recommendations. If it's used, if you use it as a universal screener, then it's not on our screening list anymore. So we have kind of pared those down. So if you use XYZ assessment, then you need to try to give something else, um, you know, when you're screening. All kids get the universal screener that's supposed to by the Alabama Literacy Act. Letter names, letter sounds, phonological awareness, nonsense words. So those are all supposed to be screened. And spelling. Spelling typically gets left out. And so if we're screening everyone on that, that just determines intervention. And then if they are in that uh, approved dyslexia-specific intervention and they're not making progress, then that's when you would do more screening, more maybe in-depth. And, you know, if those dyslexia-specific interventions are so very strong that if they're not making progress and a district's doing it to fidelity, That's kind of key too. They're doing it to fidelity, then there's probably something else going on interfering. So, you know, you need to do some more screening on them.
0: Absolutely. And I will point out that many of those tier three interventions are great, but if they're not being done in the way that the program describes, then they're not going to be as effective. And so that's something that we just continuously have to repeat so that. That message gets across.
1: You know, we all talk about research-based all the time, but research is based upon you teaching a program to fidelity. And as educators, and I'm guilty of it too, sometimes we think we're smarter than the authors of that curriculum, and we make adjustments, and that's not what research is based upon. It's effective in this manner.
0: Yeah, and it's especially important for that kind of intervention. One of the hottest topics in the state is the Alabama Literacy Act, especially the promotion piece. In light of the pandemic, many people are calling for a delay. What are some of the implications of this decision that need to be discussed? Well, that is a hot topic in the state of Alabama
1: right now, and it has a lot of people worried. We have been in a global pandemic for two years, and the only thing that I know about it is that Any decision that's made has to be made upon what's best for kids because we have been promoting kids for years that have not been able to read. And we deal with it when they get out. Our prisons are overcrowded. You know, we have so many kids, that so many people who have health issues because they can't read the medicine. They can't read the box to determine. It has such a huge impact on our state because if you can't read, what are you going to do? There's not many options out there. And having worked with high school, I know that because I've sought places for them. You know, the implications are if it's delayed, we're continuing to pass kids up. If it's not delayed, then I know the data is just now being released about the reading scores. You know, there's the potential of having a huge number of third graders next year and neither one of them are idea. You know, they're not the best. I just think that any decision that's made, it's not based upon money. It's not based upon what's easiest for adults. It's that what's best for kids. And there actually was a guy, a, a principal, in this area who did the pandemic doesn't change the promise. And that title's always stuck with me. Yes, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. However, we're still educators. So
0: and we don't give up on whole groups of kids reading. And so even if there's a delay, there's gonna have to be a plan and actions taken so that those kids get the instruction that they need is where my head is.
1: Yes, and you know I think sometimes that we forget about the fact that the Literacy Act, it says it's a K-3. However, if a child is passed up with a good cause exemption, or maybe even with this, if if a delay is determined, it's needed, then they still have to have a SRIP, student reading improvement plan, and they still have to get the same intervention. So until they benchmark on a state approved assessment. So even if they four and up, those kids are not left out. I think that a lot of times we forget them because we've been so focused on K-3, but we've passed kids up, not intentionally. We're not doing anything intentionally. That's not my point, but kids are in sixth, seventh, eighth. Kids are in 12th grade who are reading on a third, fourth grade level. We've got to go back, and we've got to provide the intervention for them, too.
0: I agree completely. You are part of the literacy task force that created a list of K-3 reading curricula that met the criteria of the Alabama Literacy Act. What can you tell us about this process and what are some of the benefits that we can see from using a vetted list? As a member of the literacy
1: task force, I can tell you that, um, you know, the process for this was, it came through the State Department of Education. They set out a request for information or for proposals, one. Vendors submitted their materials. Well, what they being very proactive, they put the rubric with it. The rubric came from the Reading League. It specified exactly in there what needed to be included in the wording. And so vendors, you know, uh, submitted all of that. One of the things on that, though, is that you can have that rubric, which is, is very good. But if you don't have the knowledge to use that rubric, it's not doing you any good because if you don't know what they're talking about in there, the difference in red flags and green flags, and honestly, there's times when they're not red flags or green flags. They're just kind of in the middle and you have to make professional decisions. It was based upon that latest knowledge about reading instruction. Um, all of the uh, curricula got a very thorough look and then it was uh, the law re- required that we have a recommended list. You know, some of the benefits of that is that I think it helps make better curriculum decisions by districts because we know this meets it. This is what the law is talking about. This meets the science of reading. Also, it's easier to support on the state level. I mean, I can't imagine going out and having, you know, 10 districts using 10 different things. That's very difficult because you have to be an expert in all of those. And that's just almost impossible. It's also easier for teachers to use for instruction. I think when everybody's doing the same thing, when you're, you know, you're, you're able to collaborate with the people and districts next to you when, you know, I think that that just really helps.
0: I agree. If people need more information on how to get help for their struggling reader or even professional learning for teachers in schools, who can they call to find out more?
1: Well, for struggling readers, now that's very specific in the Literacy Act, that they should be receiving instruction and intervention in school. If not, that's a school issue. And so they should contact their, school, their teacher and then, you know, go through those channels You know, they have to also advocate for teachers to be trained, making sure that they're trained in the professional learning and that they have the knowledge to implement. Also, the Dyslexia Advisory Council are resources for parents in schools, and there's a list in the back of the Dyslexia Resource Guide by state board district. Sometimes we get requests from other districts and we just, it's okay. You know, we just make sure that they get channeled to the right place. And a lot of times those requests will go to our state board members and our state board members do a great job of stepping in and advocating and helping parents know exactly what to do in those situations.
0: I want to thank you as always for being with me. uh, You are always a delight to talk to, and I appreciate so much what you're doing for the state of Alabama, especially for our children and their families and our teachers. Well, thank you, Shelly. I enjoy it, and I enjoyed
1: your podcast.
0: Thank you so much. Join us again for the next episode of the Alabama Literacy Networks podcast.